Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Business Casual, our weekly podcast. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants with my co-host, Maria Wickvilla and Caroline Viorti Edwards. Caroline, of course, is the former director of admissions at NCAD and a co-founder of Fortuna Admissions, as well as a worldwide traveler, just back from a very big and exciting trip in Turkey and Greece, and I don't know where else. Um, That's Maria, it. Maria, of course, is a founder of Applicant Lab and a homebody taking care of her family in Los Angeles and wishing she could travel the world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Super jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and if you missed us last week, it's my fault. I did an eight-day cross-country trip with my wife, my dog, and her cat in our SUV from California to Virginia, where I am moving. So it's it was a terrific uh, trip. Really enjoyed it. Highlight, definitely Zion National Park, where we took a really wonderful hike with our dog one morning. It was smooth sailing all the way. You know, not much traffic across the country, which kind of surprised me given the fact that everyone's been locked up and I thought there would be much, many more people traveling, you know, on the highways. And it really wasn't true. We had no traffic whatsoever, except, of course, to get out of the Bay Area and up to Tahoe. That was the only traffic we hit. Okay, so the big thing right now, I think for anyone who's interested in business education is number one, the return to class. Many MBA cohorts have begun the journey toward an MBA uh, in this past week or two through orientation programs. And the story in general is despite the worry over the Delta variant, most schools in the US at least, are going to have face-to-face classes this fall, at least to start. They will require, in most cases, that you be fully vaccinated and prove it. You will probably have to wear a mask every time you're on campus and in class, and you probably will be tested for COVID every week. But for now, everyone's getting back to as, you know, if you want to call that normal, they're getting back to that, which is actually a good sign. And of course, I would imagine that by the end of the year, many students might end up with boosters because that's the way it looks to be going. And then, of course, the other big news is that in two weeks, the round one application deadlines for the class of 2023 begin to basically fall like dominoes. While there are some schools that have application deadlines before September 8th, Oxford has a round one deadline of September 1, and Duke has an early action deadline of September 2. Harvard and Wharton are the first big ones for round one, uh, September 8th. Cornell is in on that date with an early action deadline, as well as the round one for their one-year MBA. The next day is Stanford. The next day is London Business School. The September 13th, Cambridge. The 14th, Yale. The 15th. Northwestern Kellogg and NYU Stern. And and then they just sort of blow up like that. Michigan Ross on September 20th, Chicago Booth on the 23rd, Berkeley on the 23rd as well, along with Emory and uh, Dartmouth Talk on the 20th, along with Georgetown and MIT right after that on the 28th. So with those deadlines that really start to come fast and furious in two weeks, I wanted to ask both my co-hosts, 
What's the checklist? What, what are the things that you should make sure you're doing before you hit the submit button? Maria, what's your checklist for your applicants? Well, I think the number one first thing people need to do is to log into the application forms themselves and go through page by page and start filling them out. I think sometimes, you know, applicants might Google, okay, what are the application essays I need to write? And they spend so much time focused on the essays that then when they go to log in and hit submit, it's kind of this shocking and dismaying experience of, oh my gosh, there's a hundred little forms in here that I need to fill out. And it's not just like your name and your address. It's all sorts of things like a little blurb about post-MBA goals, or there's even sometimes schools have mini essays that they don't formally publish on their essays page that are hidden inside the application form. So Berkeley Haas this year snuck one in, a 250-word essay, I believe, on diversity and inclusion. It's inside the application form. 250 words is like a mini essay. And yet it's not on there, at least as of the other day, it was not on their main site. So if you don't log into that application form early, you're not even going to know until you log in. And let's say you've got a few hours to go before the deadline, which I don't recommend. You should try to submit a day or two before, but, you know, human nature, (laughs) human nature. And so then you're like, oh, my gosh, there's so much extra stuff I have to fill in. So I would say if you're looking for like a mental break from your essay writing and editing, jump into those application forms, fill out the little, all those little boxes first. So that way you can focus, there are no negative surprises and you can focus on other things. That's a great idea. And boy, sneaky of Berkeley to to stick that uh, 250 word mini essay into the application. And, you know, I bet you there are a lot of little surprises like that in every little application that you can find. Caroline, what comes to mind on your uh, top of your checklist? Yeah, definitely work um, on the application form earlier rather than later. And, you know, I have to say that when I was reviewing applications at INSEAD, you would often see um, or too frequently we'd get applications where the candidate obviously spent a lot of time, as Maria said, you know, fine tuning their essays and then sort of thrown together the application form the night before. And and it's very apparent to the file reader and and it just looks sloppy. And it, there's lots of things to check. And, it, you know, it may look fairly straightforward, but people do make mistakes. And you need to, for example, cross-check that the data on your application form or the dates that you've got there, that that cross-checks with what you've got on your resume. And remember that it's often the application form that the file reader will look at first. So that's really important for sort of setting the stage for your application as a whole. And in fact, I often advise candidates to, to start working on the application form right at the start of the process, right? Even, you know, alongside the essays or sometimes even before the essays, because it's important to understand, you know, what is it that they're going to see see it first? And then and then they're going to turn to your essays, right? So if you've worked on things the, the other way around, then you might be missing some important context that is going to be very present in their minds if they've looked at the application form first. So, so it's really important to pay a lot of attention to that. And then, I mean, otherwise, at this stage, hopefully, you've got most of your materials together by now. So proofreading is really important and, and you know, get a fresh set of eyes because when you've been working on this for so long, as, as many applicants have, it can be difficult to see the forest for the trees and you can miss some silly mistakes that because you've looked at it so many times and not so obvious to you anymore and someone else that, you know, will jump out to a fresh set of eyes. 
And then otherwise, recommenders, right? You should be checking in with your recommenders and making sure that, um, you know, they're on track to submit on time. Um, Hopefully, you know, you've already had several discussions with them. You've briefed them on the process. You've had some good discussions about what they're going to say about you. And, you know, perhaps they will have have drafted that and, and be ready to hit submit as well. But But that's also an area where applicants do come unstuck at the time of deadlines where, you know, and and you can't, you cannot control as a candidate when your recommender is going to dedicate some time and actually get the work done and hit submit. So you need to be checking in with them constantly and sort of managing, managing upwards to make sure that, that they are on track with it, with their part of the picture. Do schools generally give a little bit of a grace period for recommendation letters if they don't come in? right on the deadline time and or how how does it generally work yeah in my experience they will um but it creates a lot of stress for the candidate right so and it doesn't necessarily create a good impression with the school but the schools understand that it's not entirely under your control Uh, and so most schools will give you a few days grace but you know you don't really want to be in that position if you can at all avoid it exactly and i want to come back to what maria said don't wait until the specific time or five minutes before the specific time for the actual deadline, because you never know what, what can happen. There could be some sort of glitch. It could be, there's a, thun, a thunderstorm. You lost your internet connection. There's any number of uh, calamities that could occur and, and they could be totally unexpected and can blow your shot. So it is wise, isn't it? To, to, try to submit a, a day or two before the actual specific hour deadline that every school posts on its website, right? That, and that takes some of the stress, hopefully, out of the process as well. Yeah, exactly. I wonder how many people actually wait to that. Like, how many people actually file their application within one hour of <laughs> the actual deadline? I would bet a pretty big chunk of people do that. More than it should be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, in the past, sometimes there would be times where like the application system would go down just from an overwhelming amount of traffic in that last minute. Um, I think the school, I mean, that was several years ago. So hopefully now with advances in cloud computing and whatever, that's not such a problem, but still, yikes. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, in the so early days, even of our website, we would produce a ranking and our site would go down because too many people would come in and... Uh, want to read it immediately. And I'm sure that was true at many business schools in the early days. Now that's a rare occurrence, but still you can never tell. You just don't know. Mm-hmm. And with all the hacking uh, and all the other cr- kind of crazy things that are go on in the internet, I think the earlier, the better, no matter what. Now, any other things on the checklist that may be even less obvious than what we've talked about? Well, I would say, as Marie had mentioned you know, it's good to go back to the school website and go through the form and also double check all the requirements because, as Maria said, it may have maybe a few months since you actually went through and looked at double checking, you know, the deadlines, all of the um, documentation that you need to provide. And it does vary a bit by school. So um, just go back to those um, those school websites and just double check that you've got um, everything ready and you know you've got all your ducks in the row in a row and you haven't you know accidentally mistaken one deadline for another or or made any errors that could could affect you at the last minute so it's always good to double check that 
Yeah, um, one, one digit off on the school on the standardized test score code for a school yeah. could could throw your application into a chaotic place, right? Yes. Yeah. So just double. You know, it, it, it's good to double check everything given given the stakes here. And then I would say, you know, once you've got most of your materials ready, then I would start thinking about. Um, you know, interviews, right? And and um, preparing yourself for that, hoping that you will get to the interview stage and, and start thinking about the questions that you could get and, you know, sort of mentally preparing yourself for that process. Right, exactly. Now, many applicants sort of have a two-tier strategy. Uh, you typically might apply to your the schools you really want to get into in round one, and then you might apply to your second set of schools in round two. And I wonder from both of you, uh, how, what you think about that strategy, number one. And number two, when do you actually begin your round two applications? Should you be incredibly optimistic that you're going to get into Harvard, Stanford, London, or NCAD in round one and not and wait, essentially, to get rejected before you start your round two applications? Or should there be some overlap? What 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 do both of you suggest? Go ahead, well, Maria. I, uh, thanks. I think you should apply to your top choices first because I think sometimes people think, well, I, I'm going to apply to some slightly you know schools that I'm not quite as excited about just to have that, just to try to get that admission in hand for round one, and then if I do well, then I'll shoot for the stars in round two. But the problem is that the deposit deadlines for round one are normally around February. And you're not even going to know if you've gotten interview invites at some of the other schools until just that point or perhaps even after. And so every year I hear people say things like, well, can I just ask them to delay the deposit deadline until after I hear back from my first school? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like there's a reason. Like, I, I don't know, perhaps I'm being a little cynical, but I feel like there's a reason why the deposit deadline is before the, the notification deadlines for the other for the other, you know, schools, they want to know for sure, like, okay, put your money where your mouth is. You said in your essay that we were your first choice, because that's what everyone does, even if it's not your first choice. And so great, now pony up the money. And, you know, so then some, some candidate for some candidates, you know, if you're an investment banker, you know, the deposits say $2,000, no big deal. But for other candidates, especially those in developing economies, it's a really agonizing moment of do I yeah. take the boat in the hand and pay you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars, six thousand if it's Columbia early decision. I've heard some of the European programs perhaps even have higher uh, deposits. Or do I roll the dice and wait to see if I get that interview invite or if the interview goes well? So I would say apply to your top choices first. Maybe work. I mean, if hopefully you started enough in advance, you can start working on a lot of applications simultaneously because the more the more applications you work on, the easier it gets. Like once you get that first one out of the way, you start to get into a bit more of a rhythm. And then in terms of getting ready for round two, I like to tell people, look, maybe take a week or two off from round one, veg out, right? Watch Netflix, eat ice cream, you know, <laughs> do just sort of clear it from your brain. But then just, it's just start because on your round two list, because honestly, it's, it's actually even, if you get invited to interview, you're actually in worse shape in the sense, because you're not going to find out if you got rejected until say February, I'm sorry, December 12th or December 15th, or and then you, and then if you wait until then, then you're screwed. You only have two weeks left 
to get your recommenders to quickly, you know, file the recommendations with these other schools. And you have to quickly throw together a bunch of essays. It's just not worth it. So just get, you need to give yourself a little break, but then just get ready for that plan B, plan C, and you'll, you'll thank yourself later. Good advice. Caroline? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, it's, in some cases, even more important to be clear about your motivation to the school for the school and to communicate that clearly in your application for round two than round one, because of course the schools know that a lot of people are applying in round two because they've been dinged from their top school, top choices in round in round one. So so they know that they are likely to be, you know, not your top choice. <laughs> and, and that nobody wants to be, you know, the, the second choice, right? The sort of backup option. And schools are very sensitive to this and, and they don't want to be you know, you're, you're, you're coming there because you didn't get in anywhere else rather than actually you're genuinely motivated for that particular school. So in round two, even more than in round one, it, it's critical to, to convey that commitment and engagement with that school. And that's not something that you can cook up overnight. And the schools see plenty of applications from people who have sort of, you know, thrown it together over the Christmas, New Year break, because, you know, they've had a, nasty surprise in round one and you know they're now sort of throwing together some applications at the last minute for round two and you know they will get short shrift in the process so you can't you can't fake that kind of um knowledge of the program and sense of affinity with the school and that's something that you have to build up over time through your research through your networking um so you should yeah, really be starting that now uh, uh, rather than, you know, waiting until you've been dinged by your round one schools. And let me bring up one of the sensitive issues about applying to business school for many applicants, not all, but let's say your recommender is not your direct supervisor at work and your employer does not know that you are applying to business schools and really you want to get out of there. <laughs> and now that you're ready to apply and you're hitting the uh, submit button, it becomes very obvious, at least if you get accepted. When do you prepare your employer for the possibility that you be, may be making a departure soon and going back to school? Because some employers, you know, they actually have feelings and they may feel somewhat rejected by your personal ambition uh, to leave and go to school. Well, how, how do you handle that at this point? Or you just keep quiet until you get accepted? Maria? <laughs> oh, um, yeah. So I think absolutely keep quiet until you get accepted, because if you don't get in anywhere and your boss knows that you're really your heart's not really in it. Just like no school wants to be anyone's second choice, an employer doesn't want to be your, you know, your last choice. They they want you to be committed and dedicated. So definitely don't let if if you are in a situation where your boss is not supportive or your company is not supportive of you pursuing the MBA, keep quiet. And then in terms of letting them know, I mean, I think it depends a little bit on your honestly, like what you want to do, your risk tolerance and your financial situation. I personally quit a few months before business school and I just traveled. I just backpacked through Southeast Asia and Central Europe and because I love to travel and I also travel cheap. <laughs> so I was able to, to do that and because that matters a lot to me and other people are now doing pre-MBA internships to bolster their job prospects once they get to campus. One funny story about the letting your employer know. So my boss was very supportive 
of my quest for business school. And I was working in Hong Kong at the time, and I had no idea. I thought it was like the U.S. system where two weeks notice, you don't even need to technically give two weeks notice. It's just sort of considered to be a courtesy. So I submitted my two weeks notice to HR, and they're like, well, that's great, but your contract, you has a two-month, it's different in Asia. It's actually a <laughs> month you should have let us know like, you know, three months ago. Thank goodness, my boss, who was wonderful, she she sort of told a little fib and she's like, well, Maria told me three months ago that she was leaving, which is sort of true because I needed her recommendations. Yeah. Uh, so she had to sort of cover for me and be like, oh, she actually did say it. So please let her go. <laughs> Love that story. Caroline, I wonder if you have a similar story. Yeah, any, well, that, any other advice here? Well, that's great, great advice. Check your job contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> well, when I was applying to business school, I was working at Arthur Anderson. It was the year when the Enron crisis had hit. Oh, my. Um, so it was a very interesting year. It was like the you know Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. So the, the whole firm was imploding around me while I was applying to business school. Wow. Um, and before I left, um, so I was actually um, on secondment from the London office of Anderson to the Paris office and found myself in the bizarre situation of having a contract with the London office, which had joined the uh, which had joined Deloitte. And I was actually working for Ernst & Young in Paris. Oh, so wow. all rather strange. So I don't think anyone was very worried about notice periods at that point but my my bosses and my colleagues knew that I was applying um and so you know they they were all fully supportive of me heading off and I had um I had secured sponsorship from the firm but of course all that unwound as well with the implosion of of Anderson but yeah I think it's great if you can take some time off as Maria did before going to business school because you know it's pretty intense and you've probably been working incredibly hard, right? If you're um, a successful young professional heading off to a top business school, I'm sure you have a pretty busy, hectic lifestyle. And and how often do you get the opportunity to take, you know, more than a week or two off and, and do something different? And it's not going to have any impact on your, you know, any negative impact on, on your resume or your options. So, you know, I think if you if you can at all, you know, take advantage of that time to do something different and perhaps go backpacking around the world as Maria did. And Caroline, you would agree with Maria, who basically said, hey, don't tell your employer uh, unless, of course, they're a recommender, which is the case in many, many times about your departure, unless you're certain you're actually going to go to business school. Yeah. So if you haven't. told them and you know they haven't been part of the process there's no I don't think there's any need to you know especially if you're applying at this early stage um, because it's you know it's quite far down the line that you would actually be leaving and heading off to business school school. so you know good idea to check your contractual obligations and as Maria said it can vary quite a bit around the world Um, and and I think it's, it's not unlike dating is it I mean if you're dating someone and then suddenly you go on match.com I, I wouldn't think that you should tell people you're going to match.com. Now, first off, you shouldn't be going on match.com if you're dating someone. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering where you're going with this, John. <laughs> but in a way, isn't, isn't it applying to business school uh, while you're fully employed? Isn't it kind of like going on match.com? Because you're literally vying for the attention of different schools to, to have a, a journey with them. And uh, meantime, you may be in a relationship 
as you would be with your employer. So I, I think Maria's advice is very good here. Don't let them know. <laughs> but it's the same even if you're certain. looking for another job, even if you're not applying to business school. If you start interviewing for another job, you don't go to your boss and be like, hey, I've got a cool job interview tomorrow. Hopefully I'll be after <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, that's really true. That's really <laughs> true. Okay, one last thing uh, for all those uh, folks who are starting their MBA programs this fall who may already uh, be in route to campus or are in an orientation program right now, if each of you uh, could do it over again, what's the one thing you wish you knew before you started your MBA program that would be helpful to uh, new students this fall? Maria? You know, I was pretty naive about the role that socializing and partying played in the MBA experience. I was, I'm a nerd. So I was like, boom, I'm just staying home and reading all my cases every night. And so I wish I would have prioritized socializing a little bit more. So I would tell people like, whatever, your grades in business school don't really, it's not like you're going to apply to business school again. Very few employers even care about your grades. Many schools even have grade non-disclosure. So even if you have good grades, you don't have to tell them. Or if you have bad grades, you don't have to tell them. So, you know, I would have, uh, I would have lightened up a little on the academics. And okay, I told pri- them, like, prioritize that networking from day one. Exactly. There's like no dean in the world that wants me to hear this. Like, whatever. Yeah, just don't study so hard. But really, I, I think if I could do it again, that's something I would have. I would have. Yeah, you know, instead of instead of calling it socializing, we'll call it networking. <laughs> there we go. That makes it. That makes it network. Yes. That euphemism helps. Very informal networking. <laughs> <laughs> and Caroline, what's the one thing you would suggest? Well, I mean, I looking back, I think that you know, especially with a program like INSEAD, it goes so fast, and I hadn't anticipated quite how quickly that year would flash before me so I think that um, you know I could probably have done a bit more before joining the program to do things like preparing my job search and I know that the school does mobilize students and admits more now to sort of um, get things started early on in the process but I think that you know when you you're applying to business school and you're heading off, you know, a whole year or even two years seems like a very long time, but it's such an intensive experience. And, you know, there's so many, so many different opportunities to choose from. You can't do everything. As Maria said, you know, you have to make some trade-offs and yeah, I think it's useful to really think carefully before you go to business school about, you know, how you want to focus your time, what your priorities are. And anything that you can do beforehand that's going to sort of help you front load things, especially if you're doing a one-year program, that's going to be very helpful. Great advice. So for all of you who are about to embark on your second year of an MBA program, if you're in a two-year MBA program, or for all of you who are starting, good luck, have a wonderful journey, embrace it fully, take advantage of it. Make sure you are getting to know as many of your classmates and hearing all their wonderful and interesting stories and learning from them as you can. And then for all of you who are, you know, racing to get everything completed for the round one uh, deadline, good luck as well. Uh, We hope you're able to put your best foot forward and we hope we gave you a little bit of good advice for your own checklist before you hit that submit button. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. You've been listening to Business Casual, our weekly podcast.